Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello, Craig. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Race Week. On this episode, we're going to be talking all things Dutch Grand Prix, home race for the current driver champion, Max Verstappen. We can't wait to make our bets on this weekend's podium finish. On the episode, we have Amy, Ito, Leanne, and myself, Chelsea, and I'm going to pass it off to Ito, who's going to give us a little lesson on the Grand Prix's history. The Dutch GP, a prominent event in Formula One, has a rich history dating back to the early days of the sport. The inaugural Dutch GP was part of the F1 schedule starting in 1952, so two years after Formula One as an institution started. And it has always raced at the Zandvoort circuit, located on the sand dunes near the coastal town of Zandvoort in the Netherlands. The race quickly became a fixture in the F1 calendar and gained recognition for its challenging 72-lap circuit layout that combined high-speed straights with technical corners over a lap distance of 4.259 kilometers or 2.646 miles, demanding skill and precision from drivers. Over the years, the Dutch Grand Prix showcased numerous memorable moments and iconic victories. Legendary drivers like Jim Clark, Ayrton Senna, and Anna Prost claimed victories at Zandvoort, etching their names into the event's history. The Dutch GP reached its peak popularity into the 1980s when Nicky Lauda and the fierce rivalry between Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna captured the world's attention. However, due to financial and logistical challenges, the race was eventually removed from the F1 calendar after the 1985 season. However, fueled by resurgence of Dutch racing talent in the form of Max Verstappen, discussions to revive the Dutch GP gained momentum in the 2010s. In 2021, plans came to fruition as the Dutch GP returned to the F1 calendar, rekindling the enthusiasm of Dutch racing fans. The F1 event was hosted once again in 2021 at Zandvoort, which underwent modernization to meet contemporary F1 standards. The return of the Dutch GP not only brought back a historic race, but also celebrated the emergence of Max Verstappen as a genuine championship contender, injecting new excitement into the world of Formula One for the Dutch fans. And honestly, it's kind of poetic, I want to say, that it came back in 2021 as that was the year he won his first world championship. As for the records on this circuit, we have the Brit Jim Clark with a record four wins, which were all pretty much back-to-back in the 1960s. And surprise, surprise, Ferrari is the constructor with the most wins at eight. Max Verstappen holds a few records, too, at the circuit, as the fastest lap record set in 2021 is at 1 minute 8.885 seconds, as well as the record for youngest winner when he won in 2021 at 23 years old. Plus, he's the only Dutch driver to ever win at Zandvoort. 
Lastly, Ernst holds the record for the most podium finishes in a single decade at the Dodge GP, achieving seven podiums in 1980. In terms of last year's GP, though, practice wasn't too special in my eyes. FP1 saw a Mercedes 1-2 and the red flag thanks to Max having technical difficulties. Other than that, we saw the usual suspects at the top. As for FP2, we had Daniel Ricciardo that went from P3 in FP1 to missing the last 15 minutes of the second practice session, with Charles Leclerc topping the timing sheets and Lewis continuing the Mercedes renaissance that started in FP1. And while not directly related to practice, at the end of it, it did come out that McLaren won the dispute they had with Alpine regarding Oscar and that he would therefore definitely drive for them in 2023. And we all know by now how good of a move that had turned out to be. Saturday, once again, saw Leclerc top the timing sheets with Russell in P2 even though some pigeons in turn seven made it a difficult drive for the Brit. Top three were completed by the hometown hero, Max Verstappen, and we did see some surprising appearances in the top 10 nonetheless, as Alonso, as well as Vettel and Schumacher all joined the fray. The three sadly ended in P7, P8, and P9 respectively, but still, good effort. Now, if we look at last year's qualifying session, in Q1, we lost Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel, and Nicholas Latifi. Um, Joe was actually able to make it through to P15, and it was the reason that Valtteri got knocked out. Only by a tenth of a second was there a difference, which is a little crazy when you think about it. Kevin was eliminated due to track limits violation on turn three. Daniel, when he was in the interview paddock afterwards was quoted as saying there was dirt thrown up by another car and that cost him his time. He did finish ahead of Sebastian Vettel and Nicholas Latifi though, which is, yes, a little bit of a thing for him. Now Q2 was red flagged pretty much as soon as it started as there was a flare that had been thrown onto the track which ended up messing up Alex's, Alex Albon's outlap. The offender was removed from the circuit and the qualifying session resumed. As the checkered flag came out, Carlos Sainz was the one who actually took the top spot with George Russell in P2 and Max Verstappen in P3. We lost Esteban Ocon in P12, who was ahead of Fernando Alonso in P13, who blamed Sergio Perez for impeding him in turns 8 and 9. Joe was out in P14 and Alex, who was not able to get a final flying lap in was P15 in Q2. We saw at the end of it all just six tenths of a split between P1 and P10. Again, things were tight. In Q3, the top finishers were as followed. Max on pole position, Charles Leclerc in P2, Carlos Sainz in P3, Lewis Hamilton in P4, Checo Perez in P5 after spinning out, George Russell in P6, Lando Norris P7, Everybody's favorite, Mick Schumacher in P8, Yuki Tsunoda in P9, and Lance Stroll in P10. And of course, we're going to wrap it up with race day. Now, the race itself could be considered a little dramatic. 
we had Hamilton in Mercedes and Carlos in Ferraris with a little love tap right off the start. And we witnessed a little action between Alex and Williams and Kevin and Haas, which left Kevin hitting a wall, but he was good to go. He kept racing. And it actually wasn't until the safety car after Voltaire's DNF, he was having some engine issues mm -hmm. near the end of the race, that we finally got something interesting on the grid. And it led to a restart at lap 61, which allowed Max to have a nice little stroll to the podium, which honestly is just very normal at this point. We also saw Max get his second Dutch Grand Prix win in a row, perfect for his home race. And he did have some struggle during the race, you know, he was fighting Mercedes, the duo back then, George and Lewis, they were actually doing pretty well on the grid. And I think at some point they were even saying back then that like Mercedes was, you know, up to par with Red Bull. Not, you know, they're trying to get there again this year, but they were trying to work with a one pit stop strategy and Max being who he is still held the lead because that didn't really work for them. Max did have a small little error in the pits. He stalled for like four seconds, um, but that really didn't mean a thing to his winning spot. And as we see this year, he actually likes to take pit stops so that he can get fastest lap. Now, George ended up passing his teammate Lewis, so he gained second position. And then Charles in the Ferrari came by and also passed Lewis, so he got third. But don't worry, Lewis held on to fourth position and Checo rounded up with the top five. Now, there was a little of a sad moment for us Ferrari fans. Um, we also saw Carlos finish with a grid penalty, and that was because he had an unsafe pit exit, which was already a pit stop that like had cost him 12.6 seconds in the race. So he went from a nice P5, which Checo obviously held on to, to P8. And Yuki, sad boy hours, had a DNF. Yeah, and that was it for last year. So let's get into predictions for this year. As you guys know by now, I'm not letting my brain decide these predictions anymore, but rather I'm letting my dice decide. So let's dust it off after summer break, shall we? For P1, it gave me Lewis. I mean, he already has his 104th pole, so why not his 104th win? And honestly, I have my fingers crossed. P2, another podium for Esty. It would be definitely amazing, especially after the managerial shakeup at Alpine. P3, Daniel, podium after three races? Sign me up. As for the rest of the top 10, we have Charles, Checo, Valtteri, Lando, Yuki, Nico, and finally at one point, his first, Logan. To be honest, I don't know what to say for P4 through 10 other than it seems plausible. Then again, with the DICE's previous track record, I don't think it will happen this way at the end of the day on Sunday, but who knows? I'm hopeful. Now, if you've listened to us for a little bit, you've realized that we really like to get our crystal balls out when we do our predictions. I am quite literally sitting here as we record this with a pyrite crystal ball in my hand for a little bit of extra luck for the boys um and hopes that maybe if i use this particular crystal it will make who i predicted their podium spots i don't know we're gonna just try this out for fun so let's get into my predictions as you've figured out i like to do mine a little different as the witchy one of the group 
pulled out my pendulum. And so let's see what this prediction gave me. So something in my gut is just telling me that Quali is going to be a nail biter, especially with the fact that this is a track with some slow speed sections. Might even see teams like Mercedes, McLaren, and Ferrari come to play. I don't know, but something just tells me that Quali is going to have all of us on the edge of our seats. I'm seeing like Lando, Lewis, Carlos, Valtteri, and Danny. Something tells me that they're just going to come back from break refreshed and ready to kick some butt and just jump in feet first to the rest of the season. And I really hope that I'm right with that because. I think it would be really good to just see Valtteri in particular come back refreshed and ready to really just go all out. So my pendulum seems to really think that we are going to get a Sir Lewis Hamilton podium. And I am not going to complain about that one bit. I would love to see that. And you guys all know, I'm the Red Bull girl. It probably sounds crazy to hear me say this. I really want a Lewis podium. I would be very happy to see it happen. Now, for P2, I got Max, and I know, I know, nobody wants to see him on the podium, but if the car is there and the driver can pull it off, what the heck is going to stop him? For my P3, this one honestly made my damn day, because we're getting Esty Bestie back on the podium, baby. That's right, everybody. Everybody's favorite bestie, Esteban Ocon, be back on the top of the podium again. We'll see if that actually happens. I really can't wait to see what the rest of the season has for him. But that's at least what my podium is giving me. Now, this is a personal pick. It's a backup for a podium position. And it's probably going to sound a little crazy to some people, but that's okay. I'm fine with it. One of my favorites on the grid, Lance Stroll. I would just love to see him back on the podium. I think he's got a lot of potential. Will we see him drive to that potential this weekend? We'll find out. It's Aston Martin. The car's got pace, so really, it's kind of to Lance at this point. Now, something is telling me that we are going to have absolute chaos coming Checo's way, and I really hate to have to say that out loud because I don't want to see him do poorly. I really want to see him give Max a run for his money. I'm just at least hoping that we don't have another Q3 miss. I would even just settle for a Q3 spin out. But I just, I smell chaos coming. I don't think it's going to be a great weekend for Checo. Something seems like we're going to have a really good fight on our hands with Aston Martin and Alpine, seeing as they're currently kind of sitting as best of the rest. And I, for one, really cannot wait to see how that battle shapes up. If I was a betting girl, though, I think I'm going to have to put my money on Aston Martin. Is Alpine going to make me eat my words? Highly likely. Very possible. Really going to find out. But as I mentioned earlier, I just feel like Valtteri is about to come back really refreshed and really just like raring to go. I kind of see him as being a wild card this weekend. I don't know what's going to happen for him, but I think it's going to be a really telling weekend for him. I'm thinking this is going to be a nice, fun weekend. It has been so long to me since we've been on the track that I'm honestly just hoping that something exciting happens to start us back off with like a banger, you know, like a really surprising win, maybe something in quality that's super cool. Maybe like, I don't know, let's see Alex get first in quality. That would be cool. 
he, maybe Williams doesn't need to rate win the race, but I want to see like Alex in top five. That's random. Anyways, I just want something exciting to happen. For the practice sesh, I'm I think it's gonna be a little silly. Everyone's going to be getting back into the groove. You know, Danny's still getting used to the F1 car, so good luck to him. And I'm really hoping that the little pigeons just stay out of the way and we don't have any animal cases to worry about. I'm predicting that Ferrari can repeat last year, you know, at least one of them, and place well in quali, you know, for a more promising start. I'm also seeing McLaren and maybe even Alpine set up well. So that is what I'm hoping for. But for the final results, I'm predicting Max in the lead, Ferrari in second, Carlos or Charles, I'll take either one, and Oscar in third. I feel like he could have a shot, so just listen to me with my little crystal ball here, okay? I also want to say I am so glad I don't bet real money on these things because after all these predictions, I would be broke. And while we are all so excited for the race, we are obviously going to talk about a few things that happened while we weren't racing. And something I have to bring up, speaking of predictions, is Alex Albon. I don't know if people are predicting where he's going to go yet. I currently think that either he's going to snag him or he's going to have a nice little Williams to Mercedes pipeline. Whichever team you said first, it clipped. Maybe that's a sign from God because I said Red Bull. I'm going to keep that in. But I'm thinking either Red Bull's going to grab him, Mercedes might grab him. Maybe he'll do like a Williams to pipeline if Lewis decides to retire by like 2025. Who knows? And I was reading this article on Formula1.com and they were just saying that basically how Lando right now is like this hot commodity where we keep hearing stories that everyone wants a Lando, Red Bull, like McLaren, all these people. They're saying Alex is going to be that when it's his time to start looking for a contract. And honestly, I see it and I'm excited. I think if I had to make a prediction for Alex... I just don't see him going back to Red Bull. It just just doesn't feel like the right move for him. But, I mean, I could also see him just staying on as a longer contract at Williams and really kind of working that Mercedes pipeline and that relationship. But I wonder if, if Valtteri Bottas retires, I would actually really love to see Alex Albon and Joe Guan Yu at Alfa Romeo together, I feel like that pairing could actually be really fucking fire. But I just, I don't know. Red Bull doesn't feel like it. That feels like going back to an X almost. It just feels like something you don't do. Okay. I see what you mean about going back to an X, but sometimes we have to take time apart to come back together better. So we don't know. Second, I actually agree about him staying with Williams only because they were talking about it in the article and basically they were saying if he were to stay with Williams, like Williams would build this team around him. He would be their first driver. And the only problem with that is how long is it going to take Williams to get him the car he needs? Because if it says, let's say they're estimating it'll take them eight to 10 years to get to Red Bull's level. Alex is going to be like 33, which is that old? Maybe not what the expectations are and like when they expect to get this. Because if I'm 24 and I can get it with Mercedes in two years, why am I going to wait 10 with Williams? So I completely understand if he makes the move. But also, if you want to build yourself 
around a team and just be like a Fernando Alonso who doesn't quit because he has a winning team. I get that too. I mean, first off, I must agree with Chelsea on the whole not going back to an ex part because Danny just did it this season. And granted, the whole Danny going back to AlphaTauri is still only, what, three races in? But still, he went back. He did pretty well so far. And if my predictions are anything to go by, he's going to get a podium this weekend. But all jokes aside, I feel like I could also see Alex at Ferrari for some weird reason. I don't know why, but I could see him at Ferrari. I can't explain it why it's vibes. I, I can't see him at Ferrari. I don't know why. I just can't. It, that doesn't feel like his vibe or at, like at all. Alex just to me seems so chill and down to earth. And I, I don't, for some reason I know it sounds bad, but that just doesn't feel like Ferrari to me. I think it's just, I just feel like his energy won't work with it at all. I know what it is. Have you guys seen those theories where it's like black, white, or it's like black swan and then like a white swan theory? Red Bull is like a black swan team and Alex is like a white swan. He doesn't belong in the black swan team. Does that sound like funky? He's just so, they don't fit. I'm jumping in real quick. I almost feel like you can't have two white swans on the same team. Charles and Alex would be the same vibe, whereas Charles and Carlos are different vibes. I also feel like if we look at the theory of, like, you couldn't have two people with the same vibe on the same team, like, Alex and Logan have relatively similar energy, to me at least. I don't feel like they clash, like, I don't feel like they clash that much, so I feel like that dynamic works. I just, I really don't know where I'd see him. I while I'd love to see him at like the idea of Alfa Romeo, I just don't know if it's a logical move for him. I just don't know what like that step up would be on a, on what team would would have an opening has a card that could actually get him where he should be because he's got so much damn potential. I mean, the more I think about the whole personality dynamic thing that Leanne mentioned the more I must agree, because while, for example, Carlos and Charles are similar vibes, they're not the same person. And you see that, you saw that, at, for example, at Mercedes with Lewis and George, or with Valtteri and Lewis, same thing. And I feel like you need different, definitely different personalities. Like, for example, at, say, Red Bull, I feel like if you had Max and, say, Lewis, for example, just putting it out there, not that I necessarily want that combo, but it would get another, dare I say it, bro-sadie situation. We would get another situation like that. And do we want to see that again? The spice-loving, drama-loving girl in me says yes, but at the same time, I don't want it. Because we all know how that ended. So I, I get where Leanne's coming from, basically, at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I think Alex at Williams makes sense. I feel like as a team, it fits his personality and his vibe really well. I just really want him to have a car 
that can show the potential that he has as a driver because I think there's so much talent in that kid. I just want him in a car that has the opportunity to put him on the podium. I don't know what that te- what opening there is on a team that's got that kind of potential for him though. That's the the thing that I'm sitting here going like where does he go? Yeah, I don't really know where he would go because like we said, there's very minimal options. There's Mercedes, maybe Alpha, maybe even Aston if Alonso leaves. I guess you guys are right. I don't see him at Red Bull. But then again, I think Max is just a little too fast for any partner, whether it's on the grid or on the streets. And speaking of Max and speed, Max recently was uh, seen on Instagram in an AMR Valkyrie, which is a fantastic car. If you haven't seen it, it looks amazing. There have been online recently some um, rumors surrounding Max and being arrested or potentially being arrested. There's a warrant. We don't really know. But for me, it's giving a la Lewis Hamilton and a Skyline vibe. And just, I don't know. I don't think anything's going to really come of it. He'll probably get a fine because he was technically speeding, which obviously don't do. But Europe and speeding in my brain in Europe just kind of raises a big old question mark in terms of like, is that normally an issue? I don't know. If anyone's going to speed and still be able to drive well, Max Verstappen. If I'm a cop and I see him speeding, I'm going to assume he can hit the speed better than I can. Second, I think it actually is a big deal, though, in Europe, so I'm not sure how much he can get away with it. But even if it is a big deal, the man has the money. And as sad as it is to say, I think that's kind of the whole answer. Yeah. So as someone that grew up in Europe, I can maybe shed some light on this. Speeding, Europe, do not mix. Like, you go two miles over the speed limit, you get a fine. No ifs or buts about it. In most countries, you have a five kilometer, which is roughly two miles grace period in terms of like speed limit. And after that, it can start hitting you at like $90. And the more you do that, and the further the distance from the speed limit you are, and also whether you are inside like a city limits or whether you're outside, that fine just goes up, 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 and they do not mess around with that. So do I see him getting a fine? Very well. Do I see him getting arrested? No, because rich white guy. And this is one of the things that I love about this podcast is that as an East Coast girl born and raised, Nobody on the East Coast drives within five miles per hour of the speed limit at all, especially if you are on a highway. You are going, most people, at least in Massachusetts, are going at minimum on the furthest left lane, 25 to sometimes even 40 miles above the speed limit. Most of the speed limits on the highway out here, for me at least, are about 65 miles an hour or take. Most of the people on the East Coast speed i do it i won't even lie but i will say the one thing that is kind of similar is depending on if you're in a city versus in a town the price of your moving violation will vary if you're in within boston city limits it's probably higher than if you're in where i grew up which is a really tiny small town where they're generally not pulling too many people over for speeding very frequently 
If we're going to talk about cars, as someone who is a gearhead through and through, I have to recommend that everybody go check out the Mercedes Instagram account because they just dropped the new Mercedes AMG GT. And that thing is so pretty. I'm not normally a Mercedes girl for cars. I'm a classic sports car girl to my core. It's vintage. I'm all about it. I don't generally like newer cars. There is something about that car that is so good. And they also launched it with Lewis and then my personal favorite, Naomi Schiff. And that car looks just as good as they do. And it's not even a little bit fair. And from talking streetcars, back to the racetrack. The possibility of DRS only being allowed during the race, not during practice anymore. Thoughts? Because according to Autosport, it might very well be a possibility. I mean, I kind of think it's a genius idea, but it's going to screw everybody over. You're going to get the weirdest starting grid with Quali, and then the race is going to happen, and DRS is going to be available, and it's just going to be carnage. Well, I love watching overtakes. Like, I, I don't want to watch people be embarrassed like that. I just feel like it could be a little bit of a dangerous game to play. I also can hear quite a few teams being um very pissy about it and not wanting to do this we'll see if this actually happens though the only reason i don't think it should happen i mean i'm sure there's other reasons but i just feel like if you're doing a practice session you should be able to go full practice otherwise when race day comes you're going to have new things new things being drs thrown into the mix and you're not going to have that same kind of practice that you should have had to properly raise and be able to handle those zones. So now you have people that, like you guys said, are going to do super awesome in practice. They're going to get on the track and be completely shocked that suddenly they're being passed by like a Williams. And they're like, but I did so well. And it's like, yeah, in practice. So I just, I don't know. If you're going to give them practice, give them a full practice, not some half-ass thing. Plus, adding on to that, I think the only one that would not benefit from not having DRS during practice is everyone but Red Bull because Red Bull's DRS is so well-developed. And therefore, it, everyone would maybe, maybe get ahead of Red Bull during practice, during quality. But then Red Bull comes from the back and just overtakes them again because their DRS is so amazing. So I get why they're talking about disabling it for everything but the race because they want to give everyone a fighting chance. But I feel like come race day, they won't have that. So the thing for me is that if they want to make it fair by taking DRS out during practice and quality. They really should just standardize DRS as a whole and almost treat it like somewhat of like a little bit of a spec add-on. Because if you if you are going to take it out of practice and quality and then everyone's going to have differing varies of strength of their DRS, for lack of better phrasing, it just makes no sense to make it. It doesn't, it doesn't level anything. If you really want to level the playing field, everybody the same DRS specs. Totally agree with this. And on another note with Red Bull, 
it came out that Netflix originally wanted to do a documentary on Red Bull only before they wanted to do DTS. And then Liberty Media stepped in and wanted everyone to be involved. So DTS was born. Hello, Azure resident uh, production person. You, uh, basically everybody has no idea how many trial and error shows get created before one comes to be. There was a show I did that literally changed names, changed, changed design, changed everything 12 times before it came to be to the point where the other day I was trying to think of what show I did and remembered, oh, it came out six years later under a different name that none of us ever did. And it was fully changed concept and everything, but it was the same show. But yeah, so that doesn't surprise me one bit, especially with Red Bull being a more popular one. They would think, oh, even people in the States know that name. So we're going to go with that one for racing. And then it changes throughout. We'll say that does kind of explain why like season one, we opened with Danny and you get the I'm Daniel Ricardo and I'm a car mechanic moment. Because it kind of does make sense if they were kind of backing Red Bull as like the main focus. But I always love hearing about the cool like little what could have been Formula One moments. Now, I know we have talked about Formula One silly season on this podcast a bunch of times because it's silly season and it generally keeps us fed with all of the crazy twists and turns. It seems like Formula One has been a little lackluster so far. There is still more to come, but so far it's been a little lacking for me at least. Nikar's silly season is still going very strong right now, and the most recent news is that Marcus Erickson is actually going to be moving to Andretti after being with Chip Ganassi Racing from 2020 until current in 2023. So we will see Marcus in a new team next season with IndyCar, which is going to be really interesting. Now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we always do a pre-outro. And for us, it's going to kind of be almost like a prediction moment of the weekend. And that is the fact that since it's basically Max's weekend, we're probably going to get hit with a double Dutch national anthem. You're going to get it once at the beginning of the race. And more than likely, you're going to hear it again at the end of the race. I am so glad to hear all of our predictions. And... I know we all missed giving out our predictions. What do you think is going to happen at this race? I mean, it's a Dutch GP, clearly from our pre-outro. Let's be real. We know what's going to happen. Let us know on our socials, though, if you want to throw out any fun little twists. Everywhere we are at Paddock Girls Podcast, except Twitter, there you can find us at Paddock Girls Pod. Don't forget to share, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple or Spotify. And now you can even listen through TikTok, so be sure to add us there. Speaking of TikTok, my Saturday segments are back. Don't miss my prediction tomorrow. Thank you all so much for joining us in the paddock. See you after the Dutch GP. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. See you, Craig. Bye, Craig.